0: everybody. Great to see you guys. We want to welcome you to the final episode of our series, Fixer Upper. And uh, before we welcome all our campuses, uh, we got to welcome, there's a house church down in uh, Cranberry, New Jersey that is joining us today, led by Bill and Emory Marie Gibson. Give them all a hand. We're welcome that you guys are with us. We're excited that you're joining us today, wherever you are listening. Uh, for the last four weeks, we've been kind of tracking with this guy by the name of Nehemiah uh, who rallied God's people uh, about this massive construction project. It was a fixer-upper. And today, we come to the dramatic conclusion where the walls of Jerusalem are finally going up. And last Sunday was super powerful, wasn't it? Uh, if you missed it, you really should check it out online. Uh, we talked about spiritual warfare. And we learned that anytime a Christian uh, steps out to do something great, for god he or she should expect opposition you and i have an enemy of our soul who is opposed to any progress that you make in life spiritually but as a believer a follower of jesus christ you are filled with the holy spirit and that means you're called actually to fight back not in your own strength but in the power of the spirit and that's what nehemiah told god's people to do he said fight fight for your families your sons your daughters your wives and your homes, and I asked you this question. I said, "Who are you fighting for? Who's close to your heart that needs the love of Christ?" And I asked each of you actually to write their name on one of the wood boards that we're using to build our broadcast campus. Uh, if you guys remember, we had these these boards uh, that you guys stained, and on the other side, I said, "Hey, write the name of the person you're." Fighting for, and it was incredible. At every campus, we had thousands of names uh, written on these boards in red Sharpie Aunt Nancy, Kendall, Betty, Bill, uh, my dad Dominic, Anne Marie, Kevin, my son who's in rehab, my sister Ida. People wrote the names of like all the kids of the family in alphabetical order. Uh, It was really, really encouraging. And so, what's kind of cool is this when we finish work on our broadcast campus in a couple of months, we're going to actually use these boards, put them on the walls to finish the work and it will be a reminder that we're building this church for them, amen? It's not for you and me, it's for all these people close to our heart and loved by their heavenly father. And so it's really exciting. I received an email uh, from one of you this week, said this, uh, Pastor Tim, I'm a single mom of two young sons and their father died six years ago. God placed it on my heart to bring my boys with me to Liquid. Uh, Initially they came because it was one of the requirements for living in our house. But through the years, I have found them laughing at your stupid jokes. I put stupid in there. Uh, <laughs> you know, laughing at your jokes, being being moved by the Holy Spirit. And little by little, from glory to glory, my sons would soak in the Lord's word. And now they're serving others, and it has dramatically changed their lives for the better and brought them closer to Christ. Um, there were no way a perfect family by any means, but quite honestly, I don't know where our family would be today had the Lord not placed that burden on your heart and brought us to liquid. I'm seeing before my very eyes my son's maturing into fine young men with a strong connection to our wonderful Father, our amazing Lord, and the Holy Spirit. I'm deeply moved from the bottom of my heart. May God bless you and all of Liquid Church forever. Guys, that's why we do what we do, amen? Does that inspire you to push forward and keep fighting? I hope it does. Never forget, guys, we are fighting for sons and daughters, for addicted uncles and for, you know, lost teens and mothers and fathers. And so when we put these boards on the walls of our broadcast campus, it's reminding us this church is for them. This is why we're praying for 52 days together to complete construction. Because we're, we're this close and we need every family praying and giving and serving together to finish the job. Because this church is really full of people who are rebuilding different parts of their life. If, if you're new, we're not a perfect church, and we just have ordinary people. We try to be honest, but through this series, some of you have said, you know what? I, I recognize that my uh, relationship or my marriage is broken, and it needs rebuilding by God's power. Some people are rebuilding their life as a single parent, uh, some people are rebuilding their life after addiction, working on building sobriety. Others are rebuilding their finances right after credit card debt. Or you're here today and you're like, I'm, re- I'm rebuilding my relationship with God. I've been to church in, a, in years, but I'm, I'm here and I'm taking steps. The truth is, not all renovations take 52 days, right? Especially not in New Jersey. <laughs> Life renovations take time and it takes effort and it takes perseverance to finish the job. For instance, I was speaking to a guy who um, a couple years ago broke uh, marriage vows with his wife. And they have walked through that rebuilding process, a very big, long process. And I said, can I ask, how long did it take for her to trust you again? He said it took every part of three years. He says it was three years of counseling and honesty and repentance for my wife to fully trust me again, right? Trust is not rebuilt in three weeks. It's not three months. It took him three years, time, endurance, but it was worth it. I know a widow who lost her husband of over 40 years of marriage, and I asked her, I said, did a day ever come when his passing didn't hang over you, your, your life like a cloud and dominate your daily thoughts? Did ever, that day ever come? And she said, yeah, probably around year nine. Year nine, right? Healing takes time, rebuilding a life, starting a new chapter. I talked to a 20-something who graduated. Congratulations, graduates. Uh, and He's like, yay, for me, uh, $70,000 of student loans. He goes, I got to pay off. And I'm working at Trader Joe's, right? That's going to take some time. That's going to take some perseverance to pay off. Well, today, I want to encourage you with a message from Nehemiah 6, which I'm calling Fight to the Finish. Because you may be facing something very strenuous, very difficult. It's a long process. And maybe you see, like, the finish line in the distance. And so you keep going, keep going. But you're going to come to this point where you're going to be tempted to lose heart. You're going to be tempted to lose hope, and it's at that moment that your God says, you know what, take my hand, invite me into this, and let's finish the job together. Let's fight to the finish, amen? So if you have a Bible, would you open up to Nehemiah chapter 6? Just a quick review. This takes place around the year 445 BC. Nehemiah is a cupbearer to the king of Persia, a guy named Artaxerxes. And when Nehemiah receives this news, he hears the walls of Jerusalem, his homeland, are broken down. Look kind of like this. The gates were burned. The walls are broken. It was a disaster because God's people were living in disgrace. They were unprotected. They were vulnerable to attack by their enemies. And so Nehemiah, it broke his heart. It moved into tears. He wept. He prayed. He cried. He fasted. And God gave him this burden to go rebuild the walls. And so Nehemiah makes plans. He actually gets uh, donated resources from the king of Persia. He gives him timber from the king's forest. And Nehemiah travels 1,000 miles all the way over to Jerusalem. And he talks to the remnant, the the last remaining part of the Jews who were there, God's people. He says, guys, we can do this. With God's help, we can rebuild the wall. We can protect our families, restore our city, and God is going to get the glory. And it was really amazing because he's amazing. it's It's a book about leadership. And he rallies Everybody to be part of this fixer-upper, this big Renault. And so last week we saw them set the bolts and the bars and the doors in place. They made great progress, but they also faced fierce opposition. And we learned that whenever a follower of Christ steps out to do something great for God, you should expect opposition. There will be haters, there will be critics, there will be spiritual enemies who want to stop the progress you're making. There were three guys in the story named uh, Sam, Sam Ballet, uh Tobiah, and Geshem, and they kind of all attack Nehemiah while he's on the wall. They're, you ever have that when you're doing a project, like someone's standing there, and they're the critic, like, oh, you missed a spot over here. <laughs> you could have done that a little bit better. Last week, I told you about a very personal attack that my wife and I experienced when we were first starting this church. It was a very scary, very intimidating experience where we really felt like, you know, the enemy was trying to snuff out Uh, this ministry that was just born, kind of like a spirit of King Herod, like snuff it out. And we thought through, we really fought through that. We persevered. Here we are. But somebody told me you had similar experiences. I had one friend in ministry tell me, she says, Tim, it feels like my whole family's under attack. Uh, They have a child with special needs. She says, now it's starting to affect some of the other children. And we've just been hit with like sickness after sickness, illness, hospitalizations, just wave after wave of attacks, discouraging, opposition, uh, another one of you told me after service about a lawsuit that, that you're in, you're, a legal fight, where their opponent is trying to like smear their reputation, just kind of impugn their motives. And, and you're like, Tim, I'm trying to maintain a Christian witness in the middle of all this. Opposition. Another uh, single guy mentioned his uh, struggle with pornography. Single guy trying to st- you know, stay spiritually, sexually pure. And he's like, now I have a girlfriend. And all that temptation is flooding back because we have a culture that does not celebrate uh, sexual sobriety. He's like, you know, the the temptation, Netflix and chill. It's all there. It's all online. And it's funny. You would think that, well, now that I'm a Christian, I'm going to start following Jesus. Everything will be smooth sailing, right? (laughs) Ha! You didn't understand the context of the Christian life. Christianity is not a, a playground. It's a battleground. And anytime you step out to make progress spiritually, Satan will try to stop you. And so here's our big idea for today. The closer that you get to the finish line, the harder your enemy will try to stop you. And that's why you have to fight to the finish like Nehemiah does here in chapter 6. Here's what it says starting at verse 1. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arabs, so those are the bad guys, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates. In other words, Nehemiah was like, I, I, was almost finished, but not quite. There was a little bit more to go. Watch what happens. Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of, Oh No. You see where this is going? Everybody say Oh No. Oh. Never listen to anybody who comes from a place called Oh No. All right. Today we're going to see these guys try to knock Nehemiah off the wall and keep him from finishing what God wanted him to do. If you're taking notes, the first strategy that you'll see here in Nehemiah 6 is your enemy will try to distract you. They see Nehemiah up on the wall fulfilling his God-given purpose, and they say, "Hey, let's distract him. Nehemiah, why don't you come down and meet us on the plain of Ono?" Now. This is actually a real place. This is located about 20 miles north of Jerusalem. It's actually a beautiful kind of lush valley in the desert. And so the enemies are basically saying, hey, Nehemiah, you've been working hard. Why don't you come down and take a break, right? Kind of a cooler break. Hey, I know we had a beef and everything, but why don't you come up to Oh No? Now, have you ever had a, a, a project? You're working on like something significant in your life. And then like all of a sudden at the last minute, you know, there's a curveball and you're like, Oh no. Uh, like, I was talking to somebody who said, you know, Tim, uh, this spring I was going to go on a diet, uh, but I realized, you know, it's really a spiritual battle. It's about controlling my appetites, and so they're like, you know what? I have decided to lose 20 pounds, and they were like, I've been eating clean for a couple months, and maybe you've made great pro- progress, and you're like, I only have five pounds left to go to, to, to hit my goal weight and be healthy again, and then you walk in stop and shop, and <laughs> there's Ben and Jerry's ice cream, you know, buy one, get 10 free, and you're like, oh, no, Ben and Jerry's my kryptonite, oh, no, right? Or, or maybe, you know, your family, you're like, you know what, we uh, made a commitment this summer, we're going come to come to church every Sunday because, you know, it was tough during the school year with sports and that. And so you make this, like, spiritual commitment. We're going to invest in our kids. We're going to build up the faith of our kids this summer. And then you get their soccer schedule. And it's like every practice, 945 Sunday morning, right? Oh, no. or or you lose your job. I've talked to a lot of people who are like, hey, economy's bouncing back, job market's still kind of soft, and you've spent months looking, you're sending out resumes, making the phone calls, you're praying, God, give me your next assignment that uses my gifts, and then uh, you see a job and it fits, and then you go in and they're like, oh no, you don't really have the experience we're looking for. Oh no, you're a little too young. (laughs) Oh no, you're a little too old. How many have heard an oh no voice in your life before, okay? The voice of the enemy trying to discourage you because the closer you get to the finish line, the harder your enemy will fight to stop you. What do you do? What do you do when you're tempted to go up to Ono? Look how Nehemiah responds in verse three. He says, but they were, what's the word? Scheming to harm me. And so I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a what? Great project and I cannot Go down. Say that again. Cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Uh, Circle that word cannot. Circle the word not. Circle the word no. (laughs) This is so powerful. This little word no (laughs) is such a powerful thing in your life. It's one of the most godly things that you can do. when, when, When God's called you to serve him and you're focused on a mission and the enemy says, come up to oh no. Here's what you gotta do. You gotta summon all the strength, all the passion, all the courage you can and say, I ain't coming down. Can you say that with me? I ain't coming down. You gotta have a little attitude, okay? If the enemy comes at you, remember this is the devil. You need to talk back in his language. You gotta say, hell no, I ain't coming down. That's what Nehemiah says here. He says, I am carrying on a great project and I cannot go down. I am laser-focused. I'm dialed in. I refuse to be distracted by you. And this is a spiritual discipline, learning to say no to the oh-no temptation, because there will be all sorts of things in your life that compete with what what God wants to do, even not always bad things, like even good things, right? For example, like for me, obviously, it's the, the church project, all that kind of stuff. I don't know what it is in your life, but in the life of our church, right, we're, we're renovating this warehouse. It's 160,000 square feet. We're uh, renovating 120,000 square feet. So we have this warehouse of 40,000 extra feet that's empty. That's where we stay in the boards and everything. And we're going to leave it empty. Uh, we're going to move in, and we're going to see what God wants to do with that space. But people have come to me with all sorts of great ideas. Uh, there's not a day that goes by, okay? Uh, Pastor Tim, we should start a school, right? This area needs a, a great school with daycare and everything. Again, yeah, not a bad idea, good idea, just not part of our vision or our calling. This so I to say politely, no, that's not really what God's called us to do. Uh, Pastor Tim, we should start a gym, a gym, like a gym for Jesus. Uh, uh, we, we won't call it Gold's Gym, wait for it, we'll call it God's Gym, and we'll do CrossFit and listen to Striper together, and I'm like, that's a bad idea, okay? That's just, <laughs> not, not, not really, it's not a bad idea. It's just not part of our vision to go out to our community, right? So I, I genuinely politely say, "Hey, what if you stay at the gym where you are, uh, working out with people who don't know Jesus, and you can make a difference there, right? Again, not a bad thing. just not the best thing aligned with our vision to saturate our state with the gospel of Jesus Christ." See, here's the thing, guys: you will be approached with all sorts of good ideas, but it doesn't mean it's a God idea. There's a difference. And the enemy will sometimes try to tempt you with a good idea, try and convince you it's a God idea. Here's a spiritual principle. Leaders, listen to this. Just because you could do something doesn't mean you should do something. Because your spiritual enemy specializes in distraction and wants to pull you off the wall and away from the purpose God has for your life. So just because you could do something doesn't mean you should let it distract you. Nehemiah actually refuses. He says very firmly, I imagine him getting a little Jersey uh, attitude here. No, 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 no. I'm carrying on a great project, and I ain't coming down, okay? He's comfortable saying no to oh no. And listen, leaders, if you want to do something great with your life, you want to do something significant with the years you have, you have to learn to say no a lot. Uh, Personally, at this season, kind of right now in my life and family, I find... I say no about 10 times more than I say yes. Why is that? Well, it's not because I'm not open to new ideas. I love new ideas. I'm ADHD. But uh, it, it, here's the reason. Here's the reason. I have to be disciplined because I'm like, I, I'm carrying on a great work. I'm laser focused on the three great works of my life. These are like the three priorities that I know God has called me to pour myself into. My number one calling is to build a passionate marriage with my wife, Colleen, that goes the distance. We, we wanna grow old together. I only married 50 years like my parents were. Uh, that does not happen with, you know, a magic wand and unicorn dust, right? <laughs> marriage, building a marriage is a project. It takes work. It means I say no a lot uh, to my buddies. Hey, you wanna play softball this weekend? No, I can't play softball. Uh, no, I can't go camping with you guys. Not because it's bad, not because I don't want to. I just can't be away from my wife that long and stay connected. And I'm, I'm sleeping with her, not you. So I say no, right? That's just kind of how that works, right? That's, my marriage is a big project, so, so I invest in it. Second great purpose is my parenting. I want to be an engaged father for my kids. And I've got two teens and six years left before college. And I'm like, there's only one guy in the world who can play that role, a uh, dad. So I say no to traveling uh, for work so I can go to games and be at their school events. I say no to meetings at night. I've disappointed many of you. Uh, why? So I can be ready for it, home for dinner, <laughs> uh, help with homework, proofread a paper. I want to be present and engaged with my kids, so I say no a lot. The third great purpose of my life is just being a faithful pastor to our church. After Colleen and our kids come our church, I'm married to our ministry. I love you guys like family. I do. I love you. I love being your pastor. I love. Preaching to you every week. I love praying with you. I love caring for you. I love seeing you know people saved and families transformed. But building this church with people I love—it it's, it's, takes a lot of effort and great work. And so last year I said no to all like outside speaking engagements. You know, like conferences and churches. Not because I don't like—I like to help other people, but because I'm like we're at this critical moment in our history as a church. We're completing this broadcast campus for generations to come. I'm like I gotta stay laser focused, like Nehemiah. And so I politely—this is why I say—I say. I say I'm carrying on a great project, and I can't go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it, get distracted, and go down to you? Now, watch this. Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them what? The same answer. Four times the enemy baits Nehemiah, and four times Nehemiah says, Hell no, I ain't going down. See, if you want to build something great for God, if you want to build a marriage, you want to build a family, you want to build a career, you want to build a ministry, you got to be laser focused on your mission and learn to say, I ain't coming down with conviction. What what has God called you to say no to at this season in your life? Not what's he's calling you to do. What's he calling you to say, no, that's not my job. What's the great purpose of your life right now in this season? Maybe you're raising three kids. Uh, you're a stay-at-home parent, or you have a full-time job and you're raising kids. I'm here to tell you, raising three kids is a great work. It is a huge calling from your heavenly father, and it requires everything you have. And so you embrace it during the season. You pour your life into your kids. And that means you may have to say no to some opportunities. It's not no forever. It's no for now. I'm doing this great work, and I ain't coming down. Amen? You may be building a business or, or a career, And you're in survival mode. You're in startup mode. And at the same time you're serving, you're you're, you're being a mentor to a high school student, right? And the weekend comes and your other friends are like, hey, dude, come down the shore, right? Come to the beach. And you're like, no, no, no. I ain't coming down. (laughs) When the enemy tries to distract you, come up to, oh, no. Leaders are like, I'm going to invest my life and the Lord's going to change the world. Say, oh, no, I ain't coming down. I will not be distracted from what God has called me to do. Amen? Enemy strategy number one. He will try to distract you. Now, if you're taking notes, the second thing you'll see is that he will try to discredit you. This is amazing. In verse 5, you'll see his enemies now, because they can't get him off the wall, they start spreading rumors and gossip. Take a look at this. Then the fifth time, Sanballat sent his aide to me with the same message. And in his hand was a, what's that word? unsealed letter meaning it could be read publicly i'm going to spread some news to everybody about you in which was written it's reported among the nations and geshem says it was true and we all know if geshem says it's true it's got to be true that you and the jews are what you're plotting to revolt and therefore you're building the wall moreover according to these reports you nehemiah are about to become their king And you've even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There's a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. That's Artaxerxes. So come, let us meet together. And this is fascinating. Nehemiah, who's like one of the most selfless servant leaders in the entire Bible, is slandered by his enemies. They're like, you're trying to be the king in this place. Now just understand this. The more you do for God, the more people will criticize you. The more you do for God, the more people will question your motives, spread rumors, gossip about you. It is just the price of leadership. As your platform grows, enemies will try to cut you down and discredit you. I noticed this with Chip and Joanna Gaines, by the way. When I was kind of prepping for this you know, Fixer upper series, I wanted to like, read up on this couple with the hit reality show on HGTV and find out they're actually Christians, they're committed followers of Christ. Uh, they have a beautiful family. They have a great marriage. And what's happening, right? It's growing. This, their platform's growing. They've got a book. They're on all these interview shows. They're influencing a lot of people for Christ. And so I Googled Chip and Joanna Gaines, and these are some of the top five stories that popped up, okay? This is just if you Google it, okay? Chip Gaines, former partner, says, once Fixer Upper took off, I never heard from him again after 10-year friendship, right? Rumor. Gossip. I'm, I'm going to try. They have some success, so I'm going to try to call his integrity into question. Look at this one. Enemies. Chip and Joanna Gaines admit marital problems in shocking interview. Unflattering photo. Will fixer upper couples, controversial church, help them? Why is their church controversial? Because they preach the Bible. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. This one's funny. The property brothers. Speak out about their rumored feud with Fixer Upper <laughs> Starship and Johanna Gaines, right? Try to draw other reality stars in the drama. And, of course, you're going to be shocked to learn none of this is true, right? The, 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 the Gaines are actually just down-to-earth good people. They are a husband and wife who actually love each other, have a relatively functional family. They don't have a television in their house. They're not, like, hungry for fame and fortune. But the enemy doesn't want their witness getting out. Because we want to make sure Christians are maligned as kind of like right-wing, you know, know know-nothings who are all like, you know, they're hypocrites. That's how it works. And so we got to tear them down with gossip. We got to spread some rumors. That's what's happening here with Nehemiah. His enemies start a smear campaign. According to these reports, meaning according to unnamed sources... You're about to become their king, and you're even having people shout it. There's a king in Judah now. This report's going to get back to Artaxerxes, so come. You better meet with us. In other words, this is a threat. We're going to tell your boss that you're after his job. You want his throne. That's why you're building this wall. You're going to try to set up your own kingdom and grab power and make money off of it, which isn't even close to the truth. This week, go back and read chapter 5. You're going to actually see Nehemiah's incredible leadership when the, the rebuilding of the wall gets expensive, he, he literally uh, calls all the leaders together and he says, you gotta stop taxing the people, you gotta stop, stop charging interest, and he takes the food that's given to him as like the, you know, the leader, and he actually says, I'm not gonna eat it, I'm giving it all to the poor. He is one of the most selfless sacrificial leaders in the entire Bible, I love him, he's an amazing role model. But his enemies say, no, 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 that's not it. He's really after money and power. It's interesting. When Chip and Joanna had all these accusations lobbed at them, they, they have a blog, and they simply replied this. Don't believe everything you read. <laughs> and They said, no, we're not quitting the show. No, we're not getting a divorce. <laughs> no, we're not moving to Las Vegas. No, we're not opening a line of beauty products. <laughs> they simply said, don't believe everything you read or hear. And this is what Nehemiah says in verse 8. This is one of the funniest verses in the Bible. This is hilarious. Watch this. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you're saying is happening. You're just making crap out of your head, you know? (laughs) Translation, fake news, okay? Can you you say fake news? Fake news, yeah, hashtag fake news, okay? Nehemiah's like, I'm not coming down from the wall. I'm not getting drawn into your drama. He's like, you guys are just making this up out of your head. And then he prays and gets back to work. He says, they were all trying to frighten us thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and will not be completed. But I prayed, powerful prayer, pray these four words. Now strengthen my hands. This is a powerful prayer. Because no matter how strong the enemy is, you never forget your daddy is stronger. Amen? He loves to put his hand on the hands of people who are humble and who are pure in heart like his son Jesus. These four words are for somebody today. I'm preaching in this house. They're for you today. You may be in a battle, a lawsuit, a conflict at work, and the other side is fake reports, misleading information, challenging your integrity. And God says, you got to fight back. you got to fight back with the spirit of truth. Lord, strengthen my hands. Don't let the lies from the enemy's lips distract you from your purpose because your strength is in the Lord. Amen? Your strength's in him. So understand, the enemy will try to discredit you. It's just part of the game. Slander, gossip. And if he can't get you there, he will try to discredit you by tempting you to compromise. Your integrity, so that you'll disqualify yourself. There's a final twist here. Last scene, verse 10, before the wall gets finished. This actually reminds me of a soap opera because suddenly there's this like murder plot. Look at this, verse 10. One day... I went to the house of Shemaiah. This is Mariah Carey's brother, Shemaiah Carey, who said, <laughs> really? You like that one? Okay, all right, I'll keep that. He said, let us meet in the house of God. Let's go to church. Uh, Nehemiah, meet me inside the temple. Let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night, they're coming to kill you. So, so this guy, Shemaiah, runs and he goes, Nehemiah, look out over here, over here. Guys, assassins are coming. They're going to do a whack job. So come on, let's go to hide in the church. Meet me in the church. Uh, Meet me in the church alone. Meet me in the church alone behind closed doors. Does anything about this seem fishy to you, right? It reminds me of that scene in Goodfellas. Remember when Robert De Niro sends Karen around the corner? Like, she she comes to him and he's like, "Uh, go get yourself some dresses. Go ahead, go ahead. Get around, go around the corner. And she's just like, look, her like spidey senses start tingling. She's like, if I go in that warehouse, I'm going to get whacked. That's what's happening here, okay? If you are rebuilding something of significance for God, there are times when you will have to discern the different voices in your life. Is this voice from God meant to help me? Or is this voice from the enemy meant to harm me? For instance, we have a lot of people in recovery in our congregation. If, you are, if you're celebrating three, three, three months of sobriety, right? You're taking back your life. And then your drinking buddies are like, dude, congratulations, but we miss you, man. Dude, let's celebrate, meet us at the bar. Come on, you're not a drunk anymore. What's one little beer gonna do? That voice is not from God, I promise you. That is the voice of the enemy trying to knock you off the wall and get you to compromise your integrity. Some of you notice when you start marriage counseling, it's actually not fun, right? It feels like surgery of the soul, (laughs) it's painful. You know why? I find this way. It's painful for me because I find that anytime we start talking about our issues, but we end up talking about my issues, <laughs> which, which is not fun. It's painful. And, and the progress is very slow. So watch this. So you're going through that and it's like, oh man, two steps forward, one step back. And then somebody at work, someone who, who you like working with, they seem to enjoy you. They seem to understand you, says over lunch, you know, I am um, I wonder what would have happened if you and I had met before we were married. Now, we all understand what that is, right? This is the adult version of the fifth grade note. I like you. Do you like me? Check this box. Yes, no, maybe. This is an adult way of sending a message. I could be available. Could you? I promise you that voice is not from God. That is the enemy trying to throw a hand grenade into your family. You understand that? He's trying to knock you off the wall. And that's why you need the Holy Spirit to give you spiritual discernment. Nehemiah discerns his enemy is is speaking through Shemaiah. And so he responds like this. I love it. But I said, this is so good. I am, again, imagine a jersey. Should a man like me run away? Or should someone like me go into the temple save his life? Uh Uh-uh. I will not go. And I realized that God did not send him but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had what? Hired him. He's a hitman. He's a double agent. Nehemiah's looking down from the wall and he's like, that guy's on the enemy's payroll. He says he'd been hired to what? Intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this. And then they would give me a bad name to what? Discredit me. That's what the enemy wants to do. You understand? You understand? He wants to discredit you and bring shame to the name of Jesus Christ. You see this all the time. It's, 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 it's sick. It is, it is heartbreaking. A great Christian leader is doing great things for God, and then what happens? Abuses his power or gives into greed or mishandles the money. It's almost cliche, like you see in the news, all that, right? Or gets caught up in sexual sin. And the entire ministry comes down. Everything vanishes in an instant. This is why I love Nehemiah. He's like my role model for leadership. He has a spine. He has a spine of steel. From his perch on the wall, he looks down. And he says, I ain't coming down and I ain't giving up. Say that with me. I ain't coming down and I ain't giving up. I came to finish the job and I'm staying till it's done. I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up my name. I'm not giving up my integrity. I'm not giving up on the Lord. God called me to complete this mission, and there's no quit in me. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in me, and I ain't giving up. Can you say that? About the great purposes that God has placed in your life. I am not giving up. I'm going to stay until God gets the glory when this is over, and he will. If you press through, if you persevere and fight to the finish like Nehemiah did, Look at the result here. This is the end of the story. Verse 15. And so the wall was, what's the word? Completed on the 25th, a little. Yeah, give him a hand. In how long? 52 days. 52 days. And the best, this is the epilogue, is the impact it has. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and they lost their self confidence because they realize this is powerful. I want church, can we say this together? Like let's let this be our cry. That what this work had been done with the help of our God. Amen. The help of your God. I don't know what you're facing, what God has called you to, what you're what you're trying to rebuild. It may be huge. It may take time. It may seem impossible. Nothing is impossible with the help of your God. No thing is impossible with the help of your God. By the strength of the Holy Spirit, Nehemiah fought to the finish. And what historians said would have taken years, maybe decades, Nehemiah completed in 52 days with the help of his God. What do you need the help of your God to do? Maybe you're like, you know, Tim, I'm glad Nehemiah built his wall (laughs) in 52 days. I'm praying for our church that will complete construction this summer. But I'm just starting out. I'm in the messy middle, right? I mean, we're we're finishing our series fixer upper, but some of you are like, I, I'm just, i the battle's just beginning for me. You know, maybe you just completed college and you're like, I do have no idea what's next. Or or, or perhaps you're, you know, you just turned 57 <laughs> and now you're like, how do I rebuild a career? I understand you're just just starting, but wherever you are in the process, I believe God brought you here today to say to you, fight on no matter how long it takes, no matter how hard it gets, you fight to the finish because it's worth it. Amen? Amen. Anything worthwhile is, is worth fighting for, guys. You know, God hasn't saved you guys just to get out of hell. That's so small thinking. Salvation isn't my get out of hell free card. God has not saved you from hell to live a polite life. God has not saved you from hell to live a powerless life. He has saved you to partner with his son Jesus to change and fix a broken world in his name. Amen? That's the purpose of your life. So don't you give up. You are not alone in the same power that raised Christ from the dead. It's in you. So let's fight, Liquid Church. Amen? Let's fight and call on the Lord's strength together. Pray with me, Father God, right now. Holy Spirit, you're here. You're filling people. You're convicting us. You're breathing liquid courage right now and to your children. There's men here today who are going to throw in the towel. They're not going to do it. They will not come down from that wall without a fight for their family. God, there's women here today who are tired. They're moms. They're, they're just in the thick of it right now, in the middle of the diapers, and they can't see the, the, the big purpose, the big P, God, but let them see the epic purpose you have for their life, and that you're with them, and you can give them strength for Monday morning. God, I pray right now and commit all the battles that we're fighting on so many fronts and ask that the kingdom of Jesus Christ would advance forcefully forward so that you get all the glory. In Jesus' name, everyone said together, amen, amen. 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 Well, listen, yeah, praise God. Give him a praise, people. Give him praise. Awesome. Let's do it. We're going to do this. Hey, listen. Practically speaking, you're like, well, how do do I draw on Christ's strength? One of the ways we do that at our church is by receiving communion at the end of every series, sometimes called the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper. This is a way that Christians have drawn on the strength of, of their Savior for thousands of years. And so every time we take the bread and the cup, you know what we're remembering? We're remembering Jesus's commitment to see the work of salvation finished, to get up on the cross and say, It is finished. And so that's what we're going to do to kind of culminate this series. Jesus Christ laid down his life. He was ridiculed. He was threatened. He was taunted, ultimately, murdered by his enemies on a cross. And that was so that you and I could tear down the wall separating us and God. And so, for every one of you who calls Jesus Christ your Savior, understand his death, it was the substitute for your sin. It's finished. You don't have to earn your way to God, it's a gift from God. And now he fills you with his spirit. That's the same spirit that resurrected Christ from the dead. He says, you have power now over Satan, sin, and death. And, and, and so as we come to the Lord's table right now, at the end of this series, this really is a chance for you to feed on Christ. You're going to take the bread. Jesus says in the night of the betrayal, he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Then he took the cup. He said, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sin. And every time you take the bread and you drink the cup, you're remembering my death until I come. He's coming, yeah? He says, until then, feed on me. Draw your strength from me. Where you are weak. See my sacrifice and take it in. So in a moment, your campus leader is going to tell you how to receive communion. But let me just bless the elements right now, would you? Father, we now receive the gifts of God for the people of God. Thank you for inviting us to your table. Jesus, you are real food. You're the bread of life. Without you, our soul shrivels. It has no nourishment. Feed your people today, God. Lord, I thank you for the blood of Jesus which cleanses us from all sin. If we've got areas of compromise in our life, or even now, we just take a moment to confess them to you. Take a moment, just pray, do business with God. Ask him to inspect your soul, to cleanse it. Father, as Lord. Fathers, we get up and come forward. We do so in faith, asking you to fill us in a fresh way with the Holy Spirit. As we come forward, we're praying, Father God, for the people in our lives and the battles we're facing. We're inviting you into that fight. So empower your people in Jesus' name. Amen.